from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this Christmas Eve edition of Washington Watch. Now, one of the familiar refrains that has been sung over the years at Christmas Eve services is, O little town of Bethlehem. I've had the opportunity to visit Bethlehem on a few occasions and was even invited one year to flip the switch to power up the Christmas lights in the historic city. And having stood on the hills surrounding the town, I'm reminded of where the story of the miracle of Christmas originated every time I hear the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It is amazing how what happened in that remote town over 2,000 years ago has changed the entire world. But what has intrigued me as I have traveled in the Middle East extensively, especially in the last few years, is that while Christianity started there, it remains one of the more challenging places to be a follower of Christ. And I'm going to be joined today by two friends, one uh, who is in Israel, in, uh, in Jerusalem, and another who is working in other parts of the Middle East. But both have done tremendous work in the Middle East. In just a moment, I'm going to be joined by Chris Mitchell, a frequent guest here on Washington Watch. Chris is the Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News, headquartered in Jerusalem. Then a man of tremendous courage and compassion, Dave Eubank. He's the founder and director of Free Burma Rangers, a multi-ethnic humanitarian service movement working to bring help, hope, and love to people in a number of conflict zones, including some areas like Iraq and Syria that have been home to Christians since the disciples took the gospel to those regions. So we're going to be joined by both of them today. Let me remind you, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it's at T. Perkins. Lots of resources there for you, even at Christmas time. In fact, as we approach the end of this year, uh, you know, we know for certain that there are monumental battles that are on the horizon in 2021. But you can partner with FRC to make a difference. When you give before December the 31st, your gift will have double the impact thanks to a $1 million matching challenge that some generous donors have made. Let me just ask you, will you help us defend life, biblical views on marriage, and the free exercise of our Christian faith? If you will, give us a call, 800-225-4008, or visit TonyPerkins.com right now to donate. My first guest is an expert in the Middle East. He has uh, repeatedly traveled there, has lived there for, I think, about 20 years, reported on the religious and political issues facing Israel and the, surroundive, the surrounding uh, nations. Uh, moreover, in a uh, time where scandal and crime dominated the daily headlines, viewer of, viewers of the Christian Broadcasting Network have come to appreciate his encouraging reports on the growth of the church around the world through movements of revival, prayer and fasting, and even persecution. Joining me now is Chris Mitchell, Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News. Chris, welcome back to the program. Tony, great to be with you again. And, uh, and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you. And, uh, and, hey, and it's also a great honor to be on with, uh, with you and Dave Eubank. He's a hero of mine, and I've interviewed him many times in Iraq and Syria. And uh, he does incredible work. He's, uh, he's a real hero of the faith, I believe, right now. And, and you've travel, traveled to those regions where he has uh, been in these conflict zones, uh, and we may talk about that. Um, but, but before we, we move into some of those issues, what's it like to celebrate Christmas there in the Holy Land? I mean, you're just, you're just down the street from Bethlehem. 
Uh, we are. In fact, yesterday uh, I did a Facebook Live uh, overlooking the city, and I read from the uh, book of Matthew about the uh, Christmas story. Uh, just a few days ago uh, before that, I was uh, in Bethlehem itself uh, in Manger Square. And, and I think one thing that really struck me uh, uh, both times, I think, uh, uh, Tony, is that Bethlehem is a real place. And 2,000 years ago, a real uh, happening took place uh, with angels and Mary, Joseph, the baby Jesus, in that little town of Bethlehem, as you said. Uh, and, and I think people, when they come here, I think they realize that all these things in the Bible actually took place in real places uh, in towns like Bethlehem. So it's, uh, it's a wonder to be here. Uh, it's, uh, it's celebrated mainly in Bethlehem and, and other Christian areas here in Israel, uh, like in, say, the Christian quarter in, uh, in the old city. Uh, but it is, it is a special, special time to be here at Christmas where it all began 2,000 years ago. Now, in, in Bethlehem, it is um, very much like the United States in some ways. It's, it's more of a commercial event because 90% of the population now in Bethlehem are non-Christians. You have a very dwindling, very small dwindling population of Christians, about 10% if I'm not mistaken. But one of those uh, I've visited with many times that I've been in Bethlehem and elsewhere is Dr. Naim Corey, who actually, I believe, uh, was just diagnosed or has, was diagnosed previously with uh, the coronavirus and was actually pretty ill. How is he doing? Well, he's actually, Tony, doing great, uh, or I should say much, much better. I just got off the phone uh, just about an hour ago with his son, Stephen. Uh, He had been in uh, St. Joseph's Hospital in Jerusalem. He had COVID. He was on a ventilator, and uh, Stephen was telling me that he came. There was one night when the doctor said he was literally on death's doorstep, but that same night, his son told me that uh, that Pastor Corey had a dream. Jesus appeared to him, and he said he was going to take care of him. And so the doctor said that was really the turning point, uh, and he's really uh, much better. He's home now. He's, uh, he's eight hours a day without oxygen. The rest of the time he's on oxygen. Uh, but he's saying he's making great progress. He's doing physical therapy. His morale is high. Uh, but the good news is that uh, he's he's on the mend, and uh, and and the doctor said this, uh, Tony. He said uh, God wrote you a new chapter to live, and so uh, I, I believe that uh, we'll see great things from uh, our friend uh, Pastor Naim Corey from Bethlehem. Well, and he uh, pastors First Baptist Church there in Bethlehem, and and um, this is not his first brush with death. His church has been bombed numerous times. He's been shot. Um, but he uh, remains faithful to the gospel. And, 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 and Chris, that's one of the things that I, I mentioned a moment ago was that while this is the birthplace of the miracle of Christmas, this is where Jesus was born, and that message has enveloped the globe. And, I mean, people, I mean, so many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ through what happened in that small, small town there in Israel. But yet... The Middle East is one of the most difficult places to be a Christian. Very much so, Tony. Uh, I was on a phone uh, two nights ago with uh, with a friend of mine who works in Armenia and he works in Iran. And uh, for example, for, say Armenia, uh, you know they just had a war just a few weeks ago with Azerbaijan, and uh, many of those Christians are beleaguered, they're weary, disillusioned. Uh, you know, in some ways, they felt abandoned by the church and the rest of the world. Uh, they went through a great loss, not only territorially, but they want, 
lost many as many 5,000, maybe as many as 8,000 uh, soldiers. Uh, you go next door uh, or just right next door to uh, Iran, it's very dangerous to be a believer. And uh, the, the regime right there is uh, cracking down even more on the church. Uh, despite that, the church in Iran continues to grow. People come to faith. Uh, but there's also the danger of infiltration, uh, you know, for people in the from the regime into the church to report on Christians. Uh, and being a Christian in Syria can be uh, a death sentence sometimes if you're discovered, or jail, or discrimination, or losing your job. Uh, and you, you could go from one nation around the other. Uh, it can be very tough to be a Christian here in the Middle East. That's why it's so important to be praying for them and advocating for them as well. And I know that's what you do as well, Tony. Uh, for example, we, we interviewed Nadine uh, Mayenza not too long ago when she was in northeast Syria, kind of a beacon of religious freedom in the Middle East. Right. But it's so important to be advocating for religious freedom for all faiths, but especially for Christians here in the Middle East. But in the midst of this um, challenging time, there is also some some good news. There's there's light that's piercing the darkness. When you look at uh, what has happened recently with the peace accords, when you look at uh, even the Iraqi parliament voting to establish Christmas as an annual holiday, I mean there are there are breakthroughs. There are, there are encouraging signs. Exactly. I, I think the Abraham Accords. Uh, is one of those signs, as you referred to. Uh, you have Israelis flying uh, to places like the United Arab Emirates, to Dubai, uh, to Bahrain. And uh, for Israelis, I think they're so excited that maybe nations would actually be willing to normalize relations, to make peace agreements uh, with the Jewish state. And uh, and that, that is a bright spot here. And, and as well, as you mentioned in Iraq, uh, you know, recognizing... Uh, Christmas is a national holiday. Apparently, the Pope is scheduled for a visit there sometime next year. Uh, you know, these are some of the bright spots happening here in the Middle East as well. So, Chris, I think if, if I'm keeping count right, you've been in Israel around 20 years. Is that right? That's right. 20 years, uh, yeah, this past August. Yep. So when you look over that 20-year span of time, a lot has happened in the last 20 years. Put that in perspective where, you, where we see the Middle East right now when it comes to the Christians uh, being able to practice their faith. Well, what do you see in the Middle East? What's, are, are you hopeful? Are you optimistic? What have you seen over these last 20 years? Well, it's, it's, and if you look throughout the Middle East, uh, Tony, somewhat of a mixed uh, uh, picture. Uh, for example, in Iran, uh, you could say that there is uh, massive persecution. On the other hand, there's just amazing revival uh, where Muslims are coming to faith through dreams and visions. I, I think that's one theme for the past 20 years is this revival, uh, really almost a supernatural revival of these dreams and visions by uh, having Muslims coming to faith. And that's probably the predominant story there in Iran. Uh, uh, here in, uh, for example, Egypt, uh, you've had uh, a, a combination of things. For example, the, the Arab Spring uh, was actually a good thing for many of the Christians. Uh, before that, uh, you had Mohammed Morsi, who was uh, a leader in the Muslim Brotherhood, became president, was cracking down on Muslims. Many had fled, uh, you know, the region. And I, I think that would be another theme. Uh, you know, many Christians have fled the region in the past 20 years. Iraq, for example, you know, people were fleeing 
uh, places around Baghdad when al-Qaeda was prominent. They went north, and then tragically, several years later, the rise of ISIS uh, attacked many of those same Christians, and many of them had fled. I have a good friend who, uh, who was a former pastor there in Erbil in Kurdistan. He's now in Canada, and uh, that's the story of many Christians uh, here in the Middle East. Uh, on the other hand, I have a good friend of mine here in, uh, in Jerusalem. Zach Mishwiki has uh, got Zach's Jerusalem gifts online, and he feels called. He's one of those Christians who says, I want to be here as salt and light in the midst uh, you know, of this, this sometimes darkness, and I want to be a Christian because I feel this is where God has called me. Uh, so I, overall, Tony, I would say that it's a mixed uh, <clears throat> Um, story in the last 20 years. Great revival, but also great persecution. Uh, you saw that in Turkey. Uh, you see it right now in Turkey. I think many of the foreign nationals that are working in ministry are, are becoming persona no grata. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think that the church still is resist resilient uh, throughout this time uh, for the past 20 years. Uh, there's also there's sometimes a discouragement and disillusion, but also uh, a lot of time and room for hope. Well, and that's the story of not only the last 20 years, but really the last 2,000 years, the story of the church. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Mitchell, my guest. Uh, Chris, we're up against a break. We're going to come back, and I'm going to ask you, what what are uh, some of the traditions that you've adopted in the last 20 years there, being in the Holy Land at Christmas time? We're going to talk about that and uh, some of the other things that uh, are looking, uh, that we're looking toward in this coming year. Chris Mitchell, my guest, folks, on this Christmas Eve edition. Don't go away, because we're coming back with more Washington Watch, right after this. In a recent poll, it was revealed that only 6% of Americans hold a biblical worldview. This research also indicated that Christianity's teachings on abortion, marriage, and homosexuality are not only misunderstood, but seen as dangerous and subversive. In response to this trend, Family Research Council has released a new set of resources in our Biblical Worldview series. In addition to our full publications, which cover the topics of Christian political engagement, abortion, religious liberty, and human sexuality, FRC now offers helpful summaries of each publication in this series, as well as accompanying prayer guides to help you and your family pray through these important issues. And finally, our popular Biblical Principles for Political Engagement is now available in Spanish. All of these resources are free and available at frc.org slash worldview. Again, that's frc.org slash worldview. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive, and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org China. 
Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting fhrc.org slash Hyde. to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you with us on this Christmas Eve. The website, TonyPerkins.com, if uh, you would like to partner with us to ensure that Washington Watch continues into the year 2021. Well, we've got a a generous group of donors that have put together a $1 million matching challenge. So if you'd like to, uh, to give and partner with us, it will, in effect, be doubled. Go to Tony Perkins. Dot com. Joining me from Jerusalem, Chris Mitchell. He is the Middle East Bureau Chief for CBN News. Chris, thanks so much for sticking around. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Tony. All right. Now, I, I said I was going to ask you, you know, you've been there 20 years. In fact, I was just thinking uh, when we were going to do this interview that the uh, first time I met you in Israel, we ran into each other in a, uh, in a, in a gas station uh, while I was getting a cup of coffee early one morning there in Jerusalem. I, I remember that well. It was, uh, I recognize you, and I don't think you had seen me before, but, uh, yeah, it was a great time to meet. A small, small world. Um, as you've been there now uh, 20 years, have you kind of developed any kind of traditions that uh, you partake of this time of year? Well, like, like people all, all over the world, uh, we celebrate Christmas. We'll be having a Christmas Eve meal with some good friends. Uh, we just decorated our tree last night, my wife and I. Our children are in the States right now, so we will be uh, uh, FaceTiming with them. Last year we were there in person. Uh, sometimes we go to Bethlehem. Uh, Christ Church actually has a wonderful celebration uh, Christmas Day. They have an open house. However, here in uh, COVID, things are different. Uh, I think that won't be happening uh, this time. And, and even our celebration is limited to 10 uh, because of that. But we... We appreciate being here at this time of year. Uh, and I wanted to add, uh, Tony, you know, one thing about Christmas. Uh, you know, there's history behind the fact of the Church of the Nativity. Uh, you know, 100 years after Jesus uh, was born, Justin Martyr went there. The local people told him this is where Jesus was born. 100 years later, Origen, another early father of the church, went to Bethlehem. They told him this is where it was. And then 100 years after there, Queen Helena, Constantine's mother, came there. And, and the locals told them the same spot. So we don't know where X marks the spot, but there's a lot of history behind the fact that the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem is 
that little town where Jesus was born. Yeah, and there's some competing churches there, right there over the spot. It's kind of an interesting uh, visit when you when you go there. It's uh, not yeah. quite what I expected from the Bible stories uh, as a child, um, but it nonetheless uh, walking in that spot, the history of it, and um, looking at the the place where they believe the manger to have been. Uh, it, it is indeed uh, fascinating. You mentioned the, uh, the the coronavirus. How has that affected uh, Israel? Well, very dramatically, uh, Tony, uh, on the verge of maybe a third national lockdown. Uh, the vaccine just did start the other night. Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu was the first one to get the vaccine. So there's a lot of hope in that. Uh, they plan to have mass vaccinations within a few days. Uh, and so I think there's, it's a mixed thing. They're, they're hopeful about the vaccine, but uh, possibly a third lockdown. It's really devastated the tourism industry, and, uh, and, I, and that's what's happening in Bethlehem in particular. Uh, it's, a, it's a city based on tourism, and now literally there's been no tourists for months. They, they can prepare for a war where things shut down for a few weeks, uh, an intifada that affects it, but to a pandemic is something they've never prepared for. That's why uh, it's very difficult in Bethlehem in particular right now because of COVID. And as I said, I talked to Steve Corey earlier, talked about his dad, but there right now he said all day he was out there distributing food. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty among the believers there, but they're trying to bring hope. Uh, you know, he has an organization called Holy Land Missions, and that's what they're trying to do, uh, give not only food and sustenance, but hope that what happened 2,000 years ago, we still have that uh, great joy of being able to look to him, uh, look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, with that in mind, Chris Mitchell, how can uh, Christians here in America be praying for our brothers and sisters and others in the Middle East during this time? It's a great question, Tony. And I would say from Iran to Bethlehem, uh, you know, up to Turkey and down to Egypt uh, and through North Africa as well. I, I would say pray that they would have hope uh, in sometimes very difficult, very challenging uh, circumstances, sometimes uh, life and death circumstances, uh, that they would have hope and that they would be encouraged uh, to persevere, to be able to reach out to their uh, neighbors, and, uh, and that they would have the, uh, the physical needs as well, but the spiritual um, sustenance to continue uh, the faith and uh, that they would stand fast and uh, in these very challenging uh, situations, whether it's a regime that is persecuting them or COVID, that this invisible enemy. Uh, but I would say pray for the believers to have hope in the midst of a very difficult situation. Well, Chris, I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to ask our listeners across the country just to uh, to join with us and uh, and pray for the believers and the others in the Middle East. Father, we thank you for the, again, for technology that enables us to uh, communicate from here to Jerusalem with Chris. And I pray a blessing upon him and his family and, and CBN and the tremendous work that they do. But Lord, as believers here in the United States, we lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ as we're instructed to, uh, that are in places, difficult places where they are uh, being persecuted, uh, sometimes mildly, sometimes severely. We, we pray for their hope, as Chris says, encourage us to do. Lord, give them hope in, in, in this time of year when we when all the eyes at least mentally focus on Bethlehem, that manger where Christ was born. Lord, may that hope spring eternal. 
that was found right there two, over 2,000 years ago. And may we have the boldness and the courage to share it the world around, that, Lord, that we would encourage others to come to faith in Christ and we would uphold those who are believers. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Chris, thanks so much for taking time to join us on this Christmas Eve. Tony, it's a great to be with you, and uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you, and look forward to uh, talking to you in the new year as we uh, track all that's happening in the Middle East. Well, folks, don't go away because there's more Washington Watch to come. On the other side of the break, we'll be joined by another veteran of the Middle East and a veteran of the U.S. Special Forces. Dave Eubank is going to be joining us with the Free Burma Rangers, talking about the ministry they're involved in and some of the most difficult places in the Middle East. So that's coming up next here on this dish edition of Washington Watch on this Christmas Eve. Don't go away. We're back with more right after this. The history of religious persecution in China is extensive and many are not aware of the current oppression of religious groups taking place there. China restricts religious practice and oppresses religious minorities on a sweeping scale. This religious persecution targets those of every faith. Christians, Muslims, Tibetan Buddhists, and Falun Gong practitioners are all victims of the Chinese Communist Party's efforts to suppress any set beliefs that might compete with the party's ideology. This campaign against religion has had and continues to have devastating consequences for those who simply wish to live according to their conscience. Family Research Council's recently updated publication addresses China's consistent abuses of human rights and explains why they cannot be treated like any other country. Learn more about this issue by visiting frc.org slash China. What's on your daily or weekly reading list? Are you looking for honest and informative commentary from fellow believers on the current issues facing our culture? Family Research Council has just the thing. Check out FRC's blog at frcblog.com. The content on our blog is written by our policy experts as well as outside contributors. On our blog, you can read about a wide variety of topics, including religious liberty, life, marriage, family, sexuality, public policy, and the culture. Read up on some of our latest titles like Four Disturbing Trends in Religious Freedom Worldwide, Legitimizing Looting Jeopardizes Liberty for All, The Media Still Doesn't Get It, Conservatives Tend to Vote Conservative, and more. At Family Research Council, our mission is to advance faith, family, and freedom in the culture by helping you live out your faith and to stand for truth. Our blog is here to help you do that. Stay informed and get the resources you need at frcblog.com. This Christmas Eve edition of Washington Watch, I'm Tony Perkins, your host. So glad that you have chosen to join us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to uh, to miss anything on your way home or your drive around town or over to Grandma's house, you can pick it up later. It's all archived at TonyPerkins.com. 
Hey, joining me now on the program is Dave Eubank. He's a former U.S. Army Special Forces uh, Ranger officer who is the founder and director of the Free Burma Rangers, a humanitarian service movement for the oppressed ethnic minorities of all races and religions in uh, Burma, Iraq, Kurdistan, Syria, and uh, Sudan war zones. Uh, along with relief, his personal mission is to share the love of Jesus Christ and to help people be free from oppression. They... Uh, that they're comprised of a number of teams of men and women of different ethnic backgrounds, of uh, different faith, that are united for freedom by the bond of love and service. Uh, he has a book called Do This for Love. In fact, uh, earlier this year, a movie was made of the Free Burma Rangers. He joins us now uh, live by, by phone. Dave, welcome so much to uh, thanks so much for joining us and welcome. Tony, thank you, and we love the Family Research Council and all y'all do. Well, we we have a shared uh, mission and purpose uh, to give people everywhere the freedom to uh, to believe and have a choice to uh, to choose Christ and to choose to follow God. And you've been doing that um, all around the world, especially in some of the most difficult places. Um, you've served, as I mentioned, in different parts of the world, including Iraq, Kurdistan, and northeast Syria in particular as of late. Can, can you tell us some of your experiences with uh, our Christian brothers and sisters in the Middle East and, and what things look like for them during this Christmas season? Well, in the Middle East, you're invited to help the Kurds against ISIS initially. And we actually didn't see that many Christians because they had already fled. But then in the Battle of Mosul, I remember going into, we found out on the western side of the Tigris, there was an area called Hawi Kanisa, Kanisa's church, area of the church, all gone. Everyone had fled. Christians could not survive there. And then, but then going into Syria, there's a, there are Christians, there's still a small pocket left in northeast Syria. There's some in, in western as well, but in northeast Syria. And, there, there's the remnants of the Orthodox Church, the Syriac Church. Many of them fled Turkish genocide from the 1900s down into Syria and started churches there. But along with these old churches with some wonderful history and people, there are also emerging churches that we've been in relationship with. People who fled ISIS in 2014 and 15, sheltered in neighboring countries, Iraq, and in churches came to the Lord, some of them had visions of Jesus and the kind you hear about, and then came back and started churches in Syria again, in northeast Syria. And then in the, in the capital of ISIS, what used to be the capital of ISIS, Raqqa, we're helping rebuild an Armenian apostolic church. And so there's many kinds of Christians in northeast Syria that we've been working with. Yeah, you had uh, you had spent 18 years helping thousands of Burmese people displaced by the Burma arm, Army. When in 2015, you heard the cries for help in Mosul, where a fierce nine-month battle to retake the city from ISIS left thousands dead and, and millions displaced. In fact, uh, this was one of the, you were one of the first humanitarian groups to aid civilians in Mosul. You tell the story in the book that I mentioned. Uh, do this for love, uh, free Burma Rangers in the battle for of Mosul. Your your story was also showcased this year in a documentary titled Free Burma Rangers. When you were going in 
It was not long after more than 100,000 Christians were driven from Iraq's Nineveh plains by the Islamic State in the summer of 2014. Can you tell us what it was like for the Christians that were left there as survivors? Well, when I first got the Kurdistan, right next to Mosul, actually we stayed with Christian refugees that had fled the Nineveh plains. And then we went in, and in the Battle of Mosul, there are very few Christians left. If you stay there, you die. And at first, what ISIS did was most Christians left, and the few that were there, the churches were shut down, their work was shut down, and they were attacked by ISIS. And then some were killed, and then the rest of them fled. There's almost no Christians left in Mosul itself. And just outside Mosul, places like Saratosh, um, Barcella, some Christians have gone back and started rebuilding the church. But there's no way you could live under the caliphate. They would first catch you, shut everything down, and then come around and kill you. And so it was, to me, hell on earth. With ISIS running everything, if you're a Christian, you're going to die. And the same with your Jews. So I think there's like eight Jews left in Baghdad, for example. And Christian population, maybe a couple hundred thousand out of over a million before in, in Iraq. And most of these have fled to Europe or other countries come to America. Many of them are in refugee camps. The Kurds shelter many of them. But it, it must be a horrible situation when you're serving the Lord and you have to say to God, God, what happened? And I remember that, you know, Jesus was a refugee. Mm-hmm. His family took him, fled to Egypt, crossed another country to hide from oppression. So it's not him. But God always takes care of his people, always brings something back. For those who believe and obey. Uh, Dave Eubank, we're up against a break. Stick with us. Uh, Folks, thanks so much for uh, joining us on this Christmas Eve. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter or Parlor, it's at T Perkins. Uh, We will continue this Christmas Eve edition of Washington Watch right on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Still more Washington Watch to come. Masculinity in America has never been under attack the way it is today. We've reached the point where the term itself is considered toxic or offensive to many. The consistent message in our nation is that masculinity by nature is bad and is the root cause of many of the problems plaguing our society. From his experience as a military combat officer and ordained minister of the gospel, Lieutenant General William Boykin has seen and dealt with firsthand the breakdown of leadership in our nation by the lack of godly men living lives of biblical purpose. In his latest book, Man to Man, Rediscovering Masculinity in a Challenging World, he addresses the essential elements of manhood as a provider, an instructor, a defender, a battle buddy, and a chaplain, and explains how to personally develop these traits and pass them to the next generation. Get your copy today of Man to Man, wherever books are sold. Ever since the Supreme Court handed down its infamous Roe v. Wade decision in 1973 that legalized abortion nationwide, a national debate has raged over whether the government should fund abortion. In 1976, Congress banned taxpayer funding of abortion and Medicaid by passing the Hyde Amendment. Several states have followed suit, passing their own restrictions on abortion funding. 
However, because government funding is a complex system of joint federal and state programs, completely banning taxpayer funding for abortions and abortion businesses like Planned Parenthood is challenging. There is still much work to be done to free the American taxpayer from funding the horrific practice of abortion. Family Research Council's new publication clearly explains the Hyde Amendment and why we need to keep it in order to save taxpayers from being forced to fund abortion. Access this important information by visiting frc.org slash Hyde. Hey, Matt. Hey, Hannah. What's going on? Why so gloomy? Well, I'm a little disappointed. I had a lot planned to do during the stay-at-home time, and I just didn't do it. Oh, yeah? What did you have planned that you didn't get to do? Well, I was actually hoping I would finally be able to get time to do a regular Bible reading routine, and I started a couple of times. I just didn't stick with it. Don't be too down on yourself. Starting a new routine can be hard, but one way to help is to join in with others and to have a good game plan. I think I have a good solution for you. Oh, yeah? Tony Perkins and FRC are doing a two-year study in the Word. They have it all mapped out. When did they start? I, I would be so far behind. Oh, that's not a problem. You can literally jump in any time. There's a daily reading just a couple of chapters a day with questions to help you think about what you're reading. Nice. Where can I find this? Go to frc.org Bible and you can get started. Where's that again? frc.org Bible. Got it. Checking it out now. City sidewalks, busy sidewalks, dressed in holiday style. Welcome back to Washington Watch, this Christmas Eve edition. So good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. I hope you are uh, in full enjoyment, full engagement in uh, this time of year. We celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And today, talking to two good friends in the Middle East. We talked with um, Chris Mitchell. From Jerusalem with CBN News and now talking to Dave Eubank, who former U.S. Army Special Forces and Ranger officer who is the founder and director of Free Burma Rangers, uh, focused uh, for many, many years on uh, Burma, but then moved to the Middle East to Iraq, Syria. Uh, doing a lot of work there on behalf of the refugees, persecuted church, uh, and he joins us uh, by phone. Dave, thanks so much for uh, for being with us today. Thank you, Tony. We love the Family Research Council. And, you know, one thing I was thinking, Tony, families are everywhere in the world. They're in every war zone. And so I am so glad you're, 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 not, you're not limited. Yeah, we we take our message uh, everywhere as you do, where the the need is uh, the greatest. And and I want to I want to step back for just a moment. We we're talking about some of the work you've been doing in the Middle East, but you uh, your wife and your your three children have uh, have have kind of grown up I- I- as a part of this mission work. L- let me ask you this: what what prompted you uh, originally to uh, step into uh, dealing with these crisis situations and helping refugees? Well, I feel it was God. It's God's call. And first out of the army to serve him in a different way. And then when I was in seminary, there was a tribe in Burma called the Wa tribe of northern Burma. It's back in 1993 that said, please come and help us. And Burma's a 70-year running civil war. And so I went, my, and actually my wife and I are married, and we went, and we've been there over 20 years. And we started the Freedom Rangers a little bit after that, 
And while we were in Burma, we got a message from a friend of mine named Victor Marks and another lady named Isaacs, who both were working in the Middle East and said, please come and help the Kurds. So we were invited to help there. And then afterward with the Kurds, people invited us to work in, the ba- in Mosul in that battle. And then some new believers from Syria said, please come and help us. So everything's been by, I believe, God's calling and the invitation of the local people. Well, I've Especially known, the local church. I've known Victor for a number of years, and I'm I'm, I'm certain that uh, he will he will get you in some uh, some interesting places uh, to do some work. As he yeah, he's is a good brother, he is, and he serves as well. And I'm grateful for uh, men and women like you that are working there on the front lines. I've traveled to many of those spots, working to advance the cause of religious freedom. But you've seen it at a more granular level. Uh, let's talk just for a moment, uh, Dave, about Northeast. Syria that's been a focal point for the last year in particular, but longer, as uh, there's been an outpost there in northeast Syria of religious freedom, people who have experienced self-government, and, uh, and, and now all of that is at risk because of what Turkey is doing as it moves into northeast Syria. Right. ISIS has been pretty much defeated in northeast Syria by the Syrian Democratic Forces, which are Kurds and Christians and Arabs. And now when Turkey invaded, which was actually last year, October, November 2019, 200,000 people were displaced and they're still displaced. And attacks go on every day. I just came out of there last month and they were daily attacks. We, I remember we, handled, we saved the life of a little kid, got his leg blown off by, the, by a Turkish mortar, and then he died later. And that's an almost everyday occurrence right now. And it's not just the, the Kurds and the Arabs there under attack. It's also the Christians. Before ISIS, in northeast Syria, there's over 200,000 Syriac Orthodox Christians. Now there's less than 60,000. And then when the, when the Turks attacked, any village that was Christian had to flee or they're going to be killed. And so they're under even more pressure. They thought they survived ISIS, and now you have this Turk invasion. And it's not just Turkey. It's Turkey using the Free Syrian Army, our proxy, many, many parties to ethnically cleanse these areas and try to take northern Syria. And the U.S. being there is the only thing really stopping the completion of that mm-hmm. uh, annihilation and it would become a genocide. Yeah, that's a, a topic I've discussed with the White House a number of times because very concerned because that area of northeast Syria, in, in, to me, is a model of what self-government and religious freedom could look like in the Middle East if it were to, to take root and to, to really grow. Um, Dave, you know, not only is uh, this ministry in your spiritual blood, but it also is, it appears to be in the blood of the family. You, you grew up. Uh, the son of Christian missionaries in Thailand. In fact, your your parents are still active in the ministry. Um, we're, we're on Christmas Eve. We're celebrating Christmas Eve here in the United States. When you're in some of these most difficult areas of the country, in fact, some of these areas is where the gospel first took root when the disciples took the gospel there. What is it like uh, celebrating Christmas there in the Middle East? For you? Well, you know, most of the time, because we're training our elite teams in Burma, I'm actually celebrating it in Burma, which that the low drops down in the area we're in, maybe the 50 degrees. It's not that cold. But if we're out in the field, we get any tree and we decorate it with whatever we got, including sometimes shiny bullets, anything that's shiny. 
as decoration for the tree, and we give up, make presents, and it could just be a packet of Milo or coffee mix or wrapped rice and banana leaves, and we sing carols and we read over the birth of Jesus. And then usually we graduate the teens, and then I go to the Middle East after that. But often in the Middle East, the Christmas season lasts throughout the month of December. And so you'll have different celebrations of Christmas. And to be with, you know, you're talking about Northeast Syria. That is an area that I, I encourage the U.S. to politically recognize, because you're right. It's a little stronghold religious religious freedom. For example, not only the Syriac Christian can survive, but new believers have started new churches in Kobani, in Hasaka. Some of them were fled the Turkish invasion, became followers of Jesus right after that, and were able to start their own churches. And that's very rare in that part of the yeah, world. It is. And actually, this Christmas, celebrating Christmas for the first time in their lives. Yeah, it's it's a powerful story and one that uh, we, too, have uh, encouraged the administration uh, to support. Uh, folks, thanks so much for being with us on this Christmas Eve edition. Dave Eubank, my, my guest with Free Burma Rangers, is actually joining us from Burma, just came out of Syria and back in, in in Burma, and so you'll 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 hear occasionally some dropout in the call. It's it's it's, it's I would safely say it's a long distance call, um, and, and so you know technology is great, but there's always uh, some uh, hitches there. Hey, Dave, let me talk about let me ask you about this because many of your free Burma Rangers are persecuted Christians from. Burma. What has it been like working with them, and and what have you learned from them? Well, you know what I've learned is their situation is a lot closer to the Bible than ours in America. We're not really oppressed in America. We're the most powerful country in the world, so you can count on going to grandma's for Christmas, and no one's probably going to shoot at you, and you can do as you like. And in the Middle East, in, in Burma, as well as in the Middle East, for Christians, they can have their village burned on Christmas night. In fact, I was in a village that was attacked three times, burned three times. One of them was on Christmas Eve. They lost everything and fled into the jungle. But that's not that different than the early believers who were persecuted and mm-hmm. chased. And even Jesus himself, whose parents had to take him into Egypt to flee Herod. So what it means when you're there is that you live right for the moment. And the most precious thing you have is that you know Jesus loves you and you look to the person to your right and your left and you say, I love you. I love you. God came to save all of us. And so it's a very intense feeling, feeling very, very, very holy feeling wherever we have Christmas, Middle East or in Burma. Yeah. Well, the, the, and that kind of sets me up for the next question I, I, I want to ask you about, because you, uh, you didn't interview earlier in the year with Christianity Today, and I, and I mentioned this, that your wife and children are there with you wherever you go, and that uh, you said that your children's willingness to live this wild and strange life, serving alongside you and your wife, has been, quote, the greatest gift, and you maintain that the good things far outweigh the risk and the hardship. Elaborate on that for our listeners. Well... Before we had, had kids, Karen and I had to decide, what if our kids died because we're working in war zones? And my wife said, Dave, we're not to live by all the bad things that could happen, but what are the opportunities that God gives us? We'll be led by comfort or fear or pride. And so as our kids were born, Peter was three weeks old and Karen carried him into Burma. And the very first thing the villagers said is, oh, 
We have families. You brought your family. We're the same. I remember when my son was going to be putting his artist on, and the Curtis General said, you brought your son, your most precious thing? I give you my most precious thing, my country. Or an Iraqi general saying, our families are here too. When you bring your families, that gives us hope that we count in God's eyes and in the world's eyes. And so the biggest benefit for us, though, isn't just that people love us and trust us. We can work together and they're encouraged, but we get to be together as a family. I remember my daughter, Suzanne, turning to me when we went into Sudan, Nuba Mountains. We got bombed every day. So did the kids there. And my kids are hiding with their kids. And and you got to realize no, no parent wants their kid to die. So it's not that dangerous, actually. You go with the family, the families will hide. My daughter, Suzanne, said, Daddy, we're not just a family. We're a team. And I think for a parent to hear your child say, Daddy, we're, we're more than a family. We're a team. We have a common purpose. It's not so different than the people that settled America and went wagons west. They were not video game creatures. They were a young man, a young woman with a new child, walking walking west as a family. family. That's how our country was settled. And that's what the world is. So my family is not there to fight in the front line, but anywhere a family is, my family will be to serve. Yeah, that, that's um, a powerful reminder of, of, of what life is all about. It's about uh, about serving and, and and not necessarily securing. I mean, we especially right now when we look at what's happening in the United States, I've talked about this frequently on the program, especially given the fact that this is the 400th anniversary of the pilgrims coming where they came as families, just as you described. They came here risking it all as a family. In fact, only a handful of those families were not touched by death in the first three months that they uh, landed there at Plymouth. But yet we 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 uh, fast forward to where we are today and uh, we've allowed the fear of a virus to uh, to grip us as such that it's paralyzed our entire country. And, you know, it just that that, um, fear is something that paralyzes where where faith and giving yourself over to something that's greater than yourself is is a freeing experience. I agree. Perfect love casts out fear. And we should not, you know, we look at things and evaluate dangers because we don't want to die or get hurt unnecessarily. But we're not to be led by comfort or fear or pride or all the what ifs that could really happen. You're led by the opportunities you have. And uh, a friend of mine asked me once, how do you spell faith? And I said, F-A-I-T-H. He said, no, R-I-S-K. And, you know, when I'm when a woman has a baby, that's a big risk. But without that, there's no life. Yeah. And and this life on earth is limited anyways. You cannot hold on to it. You you can you can spend it and give it. You cannot retain it. And so I think that in terms of the virus, it's a real and deadly problem, but we need a proportionate response. And fear has driven the United States to a disproportionate response to a real problem. Yeah. And so my my prayer and the enemy isn't people. The enemy is fear and Satan. And so we don't have to hate each other about it. We have to keep encouraging people to love and act courageous. Yeah. And one of my favorite uh, quotes from history, William Wallace, one of the Scottish, uh, led the Scottish uh, move for independence. Every man must die, but few men really live. And I think it's as Jesus came to bring us 
not only life, but abundant life is when we live in faith with him. Dave, uh, to close out our time, we're almost out of time. Uh, Let me ask you this. How can I asked this of Chris Mitchell earlier? How can Christians here in the United States be praying for the brothers and sisters in those uh, dangerous and challenging parts of the world? I think number one is prayer. Just like the early church prayed Peter out of prison. Prayer works. I don't know how it works, but prayer works. I've had that experience myself, being detained, being arrested, being captured, and people prayed me out. Really, there was no way I could get out. So pray for them. Second is pray about talking to your government representatives because when you're in big trouble, you need prayer, but you need help. And so, for example, in Northeast Syria, that the U.S. would take a more active role. We cannot fix the problems of the world, but but we have enough ability, especially in Syria, to set conditions where they can have an attempt to fix it. So get our government to stand with these people, the Christians and the others in northeast Syria and Iraq and Kurdistan. So I think those two things, one is prayer and the other is action. And you can... If God leads you to donate, you can donate to organizations like the Family Research Council or other groups that are actively working to help people in those areas. And we will encourage our folks to do just that. Uh, Dave Eubank, we uh, thank you for joining us today, and we wish you and your family a, a very Merry Christmas, and we're grateful for all that you do. Thank you, and I'm so glad God sent Jesus to save us and that we have you to help defend us. Well, amen. Thank you, Dave, and blessings to you and the Free Burma Rangers. Folks, to find out more about how you can actually support the Free Burma Rangers, go to TonyPerkins.com. One of the ministries, one of the few ministries that my family and I support as well because of the great work that they do. And, folks, let me say this. We wish you, all of us here at Washington Watch and the Family Research Council, wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 